Is it normal for this many people to sit over here? I feel like we've got like 70 percent and 37. So I think I must look this way most of the time because people don't really want to feel the weight of the sermon until they sat over here. So I'm just going to purposely look this way today. No, uh, but I didn't notice that. I thought that was a little strange. But uh, it's been a great weekend for me personally, and a long one, but a great one. As, as many of you are aware, and I think surely, certainly, it could possibly be all of you. Uh, our elders were able to get away for a retreat this weekend. We asked you to pray for us, and I want to thank you for praying, because God answered your prayers. Um, we were able to get out on Friday night and spend some time out in the Cedar Creek Lake area in none other than Tool, Texas. I didn't know there was a Tool, Texas. It doesn't surprise me that there is one, but I don't know where. We had a great time. We had fellowship. We had incredible coffee, like Shannon brought Davis Street Espresso to Cedar Creek with us, and so it was like fresh coffee all weekend. Just all kinds of good times. Basically, what we really, the uh, reason why my heart is full and so grateful for you praying is we had a great time connecting with one another, connecting with God, seeking His guidance, and getting to look to the future and, and ask God for, for wisdom as we, we continue to, to, to follow Him as a church. And, and one of the things that I came home just very grateful for is the godly man that God has gifted to our church. I don't say that because uh, it's like the thing you say for job security or something like that. I say that because these are men that I love and respect and I'm so grateful for each and every one of them. And so um, I just come, came home this weekend with a full heart, and, and then of course I get to come home to White City City. So, great weekend for me. But I'll shut up about that, um, but I could not, could not share about that. But um, one of the things that's also been a lot of fun for me here lately, and he's not here, so I guess I can pick on him. I figured he would be. I've really enjoyed getting to know Cody, our new family pastor. Um, he's a great guy. He has a Huge heart for the Lord, huge heart for people. But what is really fun for me right now in getting to know Cody is watching him as he has that deer in the headlights look as he's about to run down. Because I was there a little over a year ago, and I know that you know that your world is about to change, but you also don't know what in the world you're in. Like you think you can get ready and prepared, and you're doing everything you can, but like if you're smart and if everybody's actually telling you the truth, it doesn't matter what you do. When that little squalling, whatever is that word, crying, loud little thing enters into your home, everything changes. It is a game changer when you become a parent. And then any of us that, that are, we know that. We know that. So as I sit and talk with Cody, I just have this like grin on my face as I listen to him and what's going on for them or they and Mandy. And, uh, like I said, I, I think really what it, what it is, what boils down to, parenting really is. Now, regardless if you're a parent or not, every single one of us in this room has and will experience game changing. You will have things happen in your life. There will be choices that you make or things that other people do, choices that you didn't make but they made. There will be realities and, and shifts within your world that will change the game, that will change your life forever. Maybe it's not your first kid, maybe it's your fourth kid that causes your third and your second to not sleep through the night. Maybe, maybe 
It's a phone call that you get from a family member and their health is radically changed. And they receive news that things are not okay. Maybe it's realizing that you are in a financial situation that you had no idea because there's some outstanding debt that you didn't know about. Maybe the house that you desperately want, when you place your offer, it's already under contract and it's gone. The reality of life is that there are dangers. And when they come, it's almost as if you remember life in light of that thing. And it is before this and after this. What I want to talk about today is what is the greatest game changer for the church? What is the game changer for the church? What separates things for us from what was and what is? What forever changed who we are and what we're about? If you have a Bible, let's look at John 20, 19 through 23 together. John 20, 19 through 23. If you need a Bible, there's a little one in the back of the pews in front of you. And as we look at John 20, 19 through 23, we're going to find out what I believe is the greatest game changer for the church. And I want to pray, pray together before we jump into this and then we'll go ahead. Regardless of how we entered into this room today, you want to speak to each and every one of us, and you want us to know who you are and who we are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that. I pray that your spirit would inhabit this place, that you would use my mind and my mouth for the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes, to direct us back to your heart. I pray that your spirit, in a, in a powerful way, would communicate your love to us and that we would not just in, be here for a sermon, but that we would encounter you, our living God, our Father who has sent his Son into the world and has saved us in spite of who we are and what we've done. We give you this time. Would you have your way with it? It's your time. We just give it back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John 20, 19 through 23. Read along with me. It says this. On the, evening, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I just briefly want to set the context. This is after Jesus' crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. This is, when it says on the first, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is the very first Easter Sunday. Okay? Christ's followers have deserted him and abandoned him while he goes to the cross. 
and now they're huddled in a room. At least they're together, but they're afraid. It says that they were afraid for fear of the Jews because they thought if they, if he, they, they, they killed our, our master, they killed our rabbi, maybe they'll try to kill us. So they're afraid, but they're together. They at least are together. They've got some faith. They haven't given up everything. And into this setting, Jesus comes in and says, peace be with you. And in an instant, he reestablishes their relationship, does not treat them on the basis of who they are and what they have done to them, but he comes and treats them on the basis of who he is and what he has done for them. So the gospel is being lived out in this moment. Christ is loving them in spite of the fact that they have just deserted him. And then he gets into verse 21, which is where we're going to spend our time today. Look at that verse with me. He says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What we see here is that Jesus does two things, okay? First of all, Jesus restates his mission. He says, as the Father has sent me. As the Father has sent me, he reminds them of the all-important reality that the Father has sent him, that he received his calling and his mission from none other than God Almighty. And in week one of this series, back when we were looking at Genesis 12, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I mentioned that mission can actually be translated sending. There are actually kind of two ways to look at the same idea. To be on a mission is to be sent. To be sent is to be on mission. So Jesus' mission is none other than the mission of God, the mission of day that we've been talking about the entire series. So first, in this text, Jesus restates his mission. But then, he does something that this, and this is the game changer, okay? Jesus, after restating his mission, he gives us his mission. He gives us his mission. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so, or in the same way, likewise, I am sending you. Just as the Father gave Jesus his mission, Jesus gives us his mission. We are, in, by definition, the sent ones. That's the title for the sermon today because that is really what the church is. More than anything else, we are the sent ones. We are a collection of people who have been sent by Jesus. In fact, I would say our being sent is so central that it is at the core of our identity. I want to read this quote for you. I'm going to say it. I'm going to pause. I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to say it again. Chris Wright, uh, he says this. He says, God is not having a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. God does not have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. And what he's getting at is that the mission of God has existed since the creation of the world. It's existed since he said, Abram, go. And sent Abram. So that the church falls into the mission of God, not the other way around. The mission of God is the all-encompassing thing, and the church is one piece in that mission. So this creates two questions for us. This idea, this reality that Jesus has been sent by the Father, and in the same way he has sent us, it creates two questions for us. And these are the questions we're going to wrestle with for the rest of our time. 
how has the Father sent Jesus? We need to know that if, it's, if, if this is so important. We need to know how the Father has sent Jesus. And we also need to know, in light of that, how does Jesus send us? How has the Father sent Jesus, and how does Jesus send us? So first of all, how has the Father sent Jesus? I believe that John tells us how the Father sent Jesus in the most popular verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16. I would actually argue that it's an outline for us to understand how God has sent Jesus. Let's, let's, let's think about it. So in John 3.16, he starts out, he says this, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For, for the first piece of how God has sent Jesus, God has sent Jesus into the world. He has sent Jesus into the world. Jesus himself is a missionary. Actually, I'd say he's the greatest missionary because he left heaven to come to earth. He didn't just go from America to Africa. He left perfection to come to this sin-filled disaster that we made of it. In John 1.14, the verse that, that uh, our New Testament reading for the day, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We just read about it in our Nicene Creed. Jesus, who is God eternal, has always been God. There was never a moment when Jesus was not God that he did not exist. He is truly infinite. But he became flesh. He took on humanity when he came to the world. And then it says that he dwelt among us. So Jesus became like us, and then he lived among us. That was first part of his mission. He didn't spend his earthly ministry living in isolation like a monk up on a hill. He didn't spend his ministry like some academic in an office in a temple building. Jesus was a carpenter, and then he was a first century outstripping itinerant preacher. He said, I do not have a place to lay my head, right? He was out and about in and among society, living where people live, taking on their pain, loving them where they were at. So the first thing we see is that God sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus lived in the world, engaged with society. Now, this is how the Father sent Jesus. This is also how the Father, I'm sorry, this is how Jesus has sent us. As his disciples, you and I are sent into the world. We are sent into the world. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, which if you want to study John 20, 19 through 23, it's impossible to not go look at John 17 because John 20 is when he's actually commissioning the very thing he prayed for in John 17. But in John 17, in verse 15, Jesus said this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus wants us to be in the world. He's praying that we would stay in the world, but just be protected. And then in verse 18, Jesus says this. This is really important. As you sent me into the world, these are from Jesus' lips, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. From our Savior's lips, he is saying that our mission is to go into the world. Okay? So we, every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus, have been sent by Jesus into the world. That means that every single one of us, you can just go up and down the rows of the pews, every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus, there is a name tag that you wear that says missionary. 
Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, you are a missionary. You are sent by Jesus on a mission. And for Jesus, that meant that he lived in the world, engaged with society, and that has some implications for us. I want to put it simply. I believe that the way that we can understand our calling is to think about it in light of this phrase. We are sent, and we are called to move in to the world, to move into the neighborhood. Our mission as believers is to move into the neighborhood. And what I mean by that is we are sent to engage with society, to live in society, not just beside it, not just alongside it, not to hide in our buildings and throw gospel bombs over the walls, but to be with the people and love them and serve them. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. We are sent not just to share a street or an address. We are, shared, we are sent not just to share an office or a classroom. We are sent to be with and for the ones that we live with. We are called not just to have neighbors, but to be neighbors and love our neighbor. Think about that for a second. How many of us, if you're honest, if I asked you, are you just having neighbors, or are you being a neighbor, or loving your neighbors? I'll, I confess, 90% of my life, I just have neighbors. 90% of my life, I just have neighbors. I don't live on a mission. I don't live in the world. But the reality is that we are sent to be a neighbor and love our neighbors. We are called to move into the neighborhood, and not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, to be where God has called us for his purposes. So our first reality is to move into the neighborhood. Now, how else has the Father sent Jesus? In John 3, 16, he continues, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That he gave his only Son. So God has sent Jesus as a gift to the world. He hasn't just sent him into the world. He has sent him as a gift to the world. And the Father has sent Jesus to be a blessing in light of Genesis 12, what we know is that Jesus is part of God's mission to bless all the families of the earth. Jesus is a descendant of Abram, and he is part of Abraham's plan, and he is the greatest fulfillment of the promise that God gave Abram, that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he is God's gift to the world. Now, how did Jesus bless the world? How do all of the families of the earth receive blessing through Jesus? First of all, I would say Jesus loved and served the world. He loved and served all nations. He spent his earthly ministry with Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews. He shared his life. He shared his gospel message with all kinds of people. Think about it this way. He ate dinner with the sinners and the tax collector, but he also ate dinner with the Pharisees. He didn't like either side. He didn't have his favorites. He ate with all types of people. He talked with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he talked with Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews and a Pharisee. Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons, regardless of people's nationality. He loved and served all people, and he ultimately laid down his life to make a way for humanity to be reconciled to God. Jesus loved and served. Now, what does that mean for us? Very simply put, we are sent by Jesus as a gift to love and serve others. We are called, we are on mission to love and to serve. This means that we're not called to just be in the world, to, but to bless the world by giving of ourselves. 
In John 4.10, John defines love for us. He says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And what that means to me, there's a lot there, but at, at least it means this, that while love may be more than an action, it is certainly not less. If God's love was demonstrated to us by his son dying on the cross and sacrificing himself and laying down everything that he had, God's call for you and I to love means that we go all in and we go all out. That we don't reserve anything, even our bodies. Love isn't just an emotional or sensational thing, it is a verb. And Jesus sends us into the world to love and to serve, to take what we have been given and to give it away. Not to hold on to anything. Our mission is to freely divest ourselves in the service of our King and in the service of our Savior, holding nothing back, being open-handed with our lives, with our stuff, with our money, with our time, with our energy, with all of those things that we are so deathly afraid of losing. That is our mission, to give it away. And ultimately, I would say, we're called to lay down our very lives. Jesus said, no greater love has a man than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. And we aren't just called to love and serve the people that we like, not just our friends, not just the people that it's convenient to love, not just the ones that it's easy to love, we're called to love and serve everyone, just like Jesus did. And that means we're called to love the least of these, the people that literally cannot repay us for the love that we give them. They literally have nothing to, to make it worth the sacrifice that we make. We're also called to love our enemies, the ones who are actively engaged against us. Jesus really means those sayings in the Bible that we read. And he says stuff like, bless those who curse you, bless and do not curse. That's not some like super Christian calling. That's like base level following him. It's just really, really hard unless you depend on him. But that is our blueprint. We're called to move into the neighborhood, but we're also called to love and to serve. But I believe there's one more way. There's a third way that the Father has sent Jesus, and John 3, 16 talks about this as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God sent Jesus into the world. He sent him as a gift to love and to serve. And lastly, God sent Jesus to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the gospel. The Father has sent Jesus to both announce that forgiveness of sins is possible through faith in him, through faith in Jesus, but also Jesus' unique mission was to lay his life down, literally, to die on the cross as an innocent, sinless, perfect sacrifice for the world. Thank God we don't have to have that part of our calling. He did what we cannot do, and he did it for us, and it is once and for all it is finished. But we do share the other part of Jesus' calling to proclaim the gospel. In Jesus' mouth, in, in, or from Jesus' mouth in Luke 4:18, he described his own mission by quoting from Isaiah 61. In Luke 4, 18, that's the passage where he stands up in the synagogue and grabs the scroll and turns to Isaiah 61, which probably meant like this long and wanting. I mean, how long does it take to get to Isaiah 61? But then he gets there, and then he says in Luke 4:18, quoting from that verse, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, that's mission language, to proclaim good news, that's his mission, to the poor. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So from Jesus' own mouth, his own understanding of his mission from the Father was to proclaim the good news to all people, to the poor, to the oppressed, to the captives, not just the high and mighty and the elite, but everyone. Jesus has sent us to do the same thing. Our mission is the same as his mission because he gives us his mission. We are sent by Jesus to share the good news. Our mission is to tell the world that Jesus is and only Jesus saves. How do we do that? What does that look like for us? I want to boil this down to two points. First of all, proclaiming the good news, sharing the gospel, the first half of that, really, I mean, and this is the meat and potatoes of it, is talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. Telling the people about who he is and what he has done for them. Telling them that God sent him to the earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he loved and served all people, and that he humbly died on the cross in our place as a sacrifice of our, for our sin, and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. That's the gospel. You get that right, it doesn't matter about the rest because it's extra. That's the gospel. That's our calling, to tell people that story. It takes about 15 seconds, succinctly. So talk about Jesus. But the second part of this, and this is the part I think that, even if the first part kind of is intimidating because we're afraid we might leave some of that out or we don't really know how to communicate that in everyday language, the second half of sharing the good news is something that everybody can do because it's unique to each and every one of us. And that's this. The other calling for us, our other part of our mission, is to tell our story. To tell your story. To talk about how Christ has changed your life. And every single one of us has a story. It doesn't matter if you're little like me and God rescued you and saved you at the age of six, because I've certainly got a spotted up and down story from there. Or you may be somebody who God found you at the bottom of a bottle in your mid-twenties. Or maybe you didn't come to him until you were 40 or later. It doesn't matter. The point is that our story is beautiful because our stories are about Jesus. And so I want to I give you a framework for telling your story. First of all, don't be afraid to talk about what your life was like before Jesus. What it was like before you became rescued out of sin and darkness, before you were set free from bondage. Don't be afraid to tell people that because that's where they are if they don't know Christ. Second, Talk about how you met Jesus, how he came and found you, how he delivered you and rescued you out of the pit. It doesn't matter your story. Like I said, it could be, you think, some of us think our testimonies aren't as powerful because we're like the good kid that never got in trouble. Maybe God rescued us from our own morality. Maybe he rescued us from ourselves. But talk about how you met Jesus and how he changed your life. And finally, talk about what it is like to know and to walk in relationship with your Savior. 
Share about the hope that he gives. Share about the struggle that it is to follow and obey him. And even share about the times when you fail. But because you know what? There's a lot of power in an honest and a real story. There's a lot more power in that than a perfect story. The people that don't know Christ, that God has placed you in proximity with, don't really want to hear that your life is perfect and you never do anything wrong. They want to hear how even in spite of the fact that you're not perfect and you constantly do things wrong, that God loves you and you know that you are loved. And in your heart, that there is an anchor for your soul because you have hope. They want to hear that because they don't have it. That's what they want to hear. That's what they need to hear. See how I'm doing on time. Tell your story. Talk about your life before Christ. Talk about your life when you met him. Talk about what it's like knowing him and walking with him. And don't forget to talk about Jesus. That is where it all comes together. Now, as a before I close, I want to share a quick, quick illustration that I think describes not just Skillman and, and, and not just some churches, but I would say a lot of churches are described by this reality. Has anybody seen the movie The Terminal with Tom Hanks, I believe? Is that who was in that? Okay, so don't tell me I haven't seen it, but I know enough about it that I think it really communicates something. In the movie, he basically like gets to an airport and then he can't leave because he doesn't have a passport. Like, he can't stay in America or wherever it is, and he can't leave. Is that right? His country seems to be a country. So he no longer no, no, has nowhere to go, and he has nowhere to come from. Or, you know, I mean, like, nowhere to go and nowhere to come, go back to. What happens to us in the church is we are rescued out of the world, out of, the, out of Satan's domain. And sent into the world. But what happens with a lot of us as individuals and churches is that we never get sent back into the world. It's like we get called out of it, and then we just hang out in buildings and hang out in like holy huddles, and just get stuck in the terminal, not living anywhere. In between, making a difference. It's like an athlete who never leaves the locker room. It's like a musician who only practices and never plays any gigs. It makes no sense. Our mission is not to gather here and sit in the pews. Our mission is to go out into the world, love and serve, and talk about Jesus and share our story. Now, there's value in this. There is value in this because ultimately we all have to worship God. And we gather here to worship Him. But this is the start. This is not the end game of our mission. And what I pray for myself and for each and every one of us is that a new lens falls over our eyes, a new identity falls over everything that we are, and we realize that we are sent by God, each and every one of us. We wear the name tag missionary, whether we like it or not. And God truly has no plan B. This is plan A, guys. This is plan A. We can either jump right into the red-hot center of what God is doing with the world, making worshipers from all nations, because his son is worth it. Or we can sit on the sidelines and watch the game happen. The Father has sent Jesus into the world as a gift to proclaim the gospel and lay down his life for the world. And Jesus has sent us to move into the neighborhood, love and serve the world, and share the good news by talking about Jesus and sharing our story. So the questions for you as you leave today. 
I got three questions. Will you move into the neighborhood? Will you not just live on your street? Will you move into the neighborhood? Will you love and serve all people, regardless if you like them or not? And finally, will you share the good news by talking about Jesus and telling your story? Those are the questions. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you give us clarity, that you change the game by giving us your mission, that Jesus made it possible for us to actually participate because he reconciled us to you, and now we have a relationship with you, a living God, through the perfect, spotless blood of your Son. I pray that we would not live in the terminal, that we would not camp out in our buildings and in our holy huddles, in our small groups, but that you would send us out and we would gladly go for the sake of the beauty of our Savior and his name. That we would be so motivated by him being worshipped by all people, whether they live across the street or across the world, that we would obey you by moving into the neighborhood, loving and serving all people, and sharing the gospel. Help me, Lord. I need your grace. I will not do this on my own. I don't drift towards mission. I drift towards convenience, safety, and comfort. Shake us up and send us out. For your great and glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing together about our mission to the world.